Hi. Okay, when you say hi, who are you talking to? I mean, if you pay any attention to me at all, it's usually I say hi to you, then yeah. you say hi back to me, and then I say hi to the listeners. Yeah, that's a lot of, that's a that's whole, too that's, many highs? that's several steps. I think we need to, need to get directly to the point with the listeners. Okay, then you do it. Look, this isn't a I think I can do it better than you thing. It was I mean, just that's, like that's a, kind of what you're implying. No, I'm just saying I've thought over, you know, the amount of waste that is produced as a byproduct of I'm sorry. <laughs> Are you calling me a wasteful byproduct? I no, I'm saying that <laughs> we produce a lot of waste when recording these podcasts. It's not very ecologically sound. Okay. We're creating a lot of digital waste. So with our with our highs and stuff and all the nonsense and all the shenanigans and all the hijinks. So no more highs, nonsense, shenanigans or hijinks is yes. what you're suggesting. Correct. Okay. De- just- brass tacks. In and out. Brass tacks. Yeah, in and out. Wham bam, thank you everybody. Yeah. Okay. All right, yeah. sure, fine. Each episode is going to be like 5 minutes. Yeah. We just come on, say our Get in, thing. do the thing, get out. Yeah. No more fucking around. No more wasting time. Hi, I'm Philip, and the hottest not alive of Halloween is Annie Brackett. Done. Done. Print. That's an episode. <laughs> We're done. Yeah. <laughs> People have shorter attention spans. Yep. There's too much other stuff out there. You got to cut through the noise somehow. And here's how we do it by just fucking no nonsense yeah we're no not one of those like long fluffy podcasts yeah. we're just we're little morsels i'll stake no sizzle yeah yeah i'll kill her no filler <laughs> i don't know if i can do that actually i don't yeah. know if you can do that <laughs> i'm sorry are you suggesting something yeah hey andy give me a sound bite of your opinion on halloween kills oops i just had an aneurysm <laughs> 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 my eyes are bleeding <laughs> Because I considered that for a moment. Yeah. Less than a moment. And it nearly killed you. And I had every thought that a person can have in their life all at once. And now there's just the sound of screams inside of... <laughs> it's it's in the back of my teeth. Can you hear it? Keep in mind this was your idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just produced so much waste. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I'm going to bring you back on board, back on track. <laughs> yeah. I want you to demonstrate for me... Be my role model for how you want our intro to I, go. You want me to just do it? Sure, go for it. I'm, right. I'm listening. All right, three, two, one, here we go. Yep. You're listening to Look Good for the Boys. I'm Andy, that's Philip. Rate and review us wherever you got this from. All right, let's go. Cool. Into the, into the week's subject. Wow, okay, yeah, that was very wham, bam, thank you, listeners. Yeah, and, and in true wham, bam, thank you style, no one was satisfied with it. <laughs> Least of all me. Look, as a somewhat slutty gay male, mm -hmm. I there's sometimes I need that. Yeah, you know. Well, you just sometimes you just want to be frustrated for the rest of your day. It sometimes that's the only way you know you're alive. Also, sometimes you just want to come and go. Yeah, you know. Yeah, like in and out. The the key is the is to come. You can't go if you don't come. Right, right. <laughs> you know? You know, in a different time. I'm, I'm from Iowa. I know all about how come and go works. Yep. Yeah. We, you, that's where we got those. It requires both. Yeah, come and go. That's an mm. Iowa thing. Yep. We got pump and munch here. It's not quite the same thing. No, it's not. That requires more skill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, you're not wrong. Right. All right. All right. So that's, is, that's good enough. This is Look Good for the Boys. I'm Andy. And I am Philip. Okay, what are we talking about? Well... Today we have a special little treat for you because we are both Halloween hungover. Yeah, and I don't even drink, so how did yeah. that happen? 
Yeah, I just, it, we did a lot in October. It's, it was I, a busy month. Yeah. I drank deep this season is yeah. what happened. I, <laughs> and now it's November and we're tired and we don't want to come up with something new right now. No, no, we really don't. So fortunately for you all, there was an episode that we were unable to release for various reasons yeah, last we, June. We recorded it in June and then a bunch of shit happened. And so, so we're going to present that to you as a little end of yeah. Halloween gift. Hey, a little leftover candy in your bucket. Yep. The bu- it's the box of raisins that you were putting <laughs> off till the end, but you know you got to eat them. Ugh, that was my least So favorite. here's your box of raisins. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of like a box of raisins. Because here's the other thing, too. If you thought that our Halloween series ended with us being bitter, <laughs> buckle, buckle the fuck up. up. Because <laughs> this episode was recorded in June as part of our original Pride Month programming. Mm-hmm. And it was us doing a segment that we call Queer Eye for the Straight Fright in which we were going to fix two movies from Eli Roth, who we consider the most aggressively straight director in horror. So yeah, this this is going to be a little salty too. So Yeah, it's, you know, it's a salty treat. It's yeah, like a It's like a nut roll. Yeah, it's a salted exactly. nut roll. That's what you, we got for you. <laughs> Here is our salted nut roll yeah. of an episode. Yeah, put this payday in your mouth. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Look Good for the Boys, a horror gossip podcast. I am Andy. And I am Philip. We are doing Queer Eye for the Straight Fright. Queer Eye for the Straight Fright. I like that. <laughs> I'm proud of that. I'm proud of you for that. I'm really happy about that. Yeah. Because I just like the idea of straight fright as like an inversion of the, the idea of gay panic. You know. Good job, Andy. <laughs> So God yeah, we're taking it. two of Eli Ross movies. Only are... two? I think we should do four next time. Oh my God. We could only handle two. Yeah. Ugh. Because these movies are all aggressively straight. Mm-hmm. And so we are taking two of them and we're going to try to make them a little more gay friendly. Yeah. We're going to queer them up. Queer them up a little. Just all over makeover. Yeah. Top to bottom. We're going to tuck these Eli Ross movies. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> So if you're familiar at all with Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, you know that there are five guys that each cover a different area of space that they can help a person improve their life. Yeah. And those five areas are food and wine, Mm -hmm. fashion, Mm -hmm. grooming, design, and culture and lifestyle. Yeah. For Queer Eye for the Straight Fright... We are going to help Eli Roth improve two of his movies in five realms that we've adapted slightly for filmmaking purposes. So ours are? Instead of grooming, we are doing character hygiene. Which is, yeah, it's the characters. Second? Fashion. Fashion is fashion. Fashion is fashion. Wardrobe, you know, costumes, etc. Third? Instead of design, 
that's just filmmaking. Yeah, filmmaking, cinematic design. Yes. I guess you're you're the filmmaking techniques, the camera, the editing, the script, that stuff. Fourth, instead of food and wine, it is blood and gore. Blood and gore. The food and wine of horror movies. Yes, and finally, culture and lifestyle. Same. Yeah, same. You know, yeah. Culture representation. What can we do to make this movie part of? our culture and lifestyle yes. like what, what or even what? just more accepting yes okay so those are our five categories and i don't think we've said it the two eli roth films we're specifically going to focus on because you could honestly take any of them that i've seen anyway yeah but specifically the ones that most are in need of our uh-huh. queer eye for the straight fright is cabin fever 2002 cabin fever and hostile 2005 his first two features yes and these are, ugh, they're the most in need of both of getting fixed. They're also probably, of his films, the two most deserving of getting made over. Because that's the other thing. Explain. Is that, like, Green Inferno, for example. There's no fixing that movie. No, just throw it away. That's yeah. what I say about it, is it's, that it's like, you remade Cannibal Holocaust, congratulations. Mm-hmm. Like, you remade Cannibal Holocaust with your weird caricatured idea of social justice concerned college kids like well and also your weird caricatures of what people look like on this planet yeah you know yeah. like in general <laughs> none of those people exist none like, of them and it's there's something to be said for you know what there really isn't green you just throw it away <laughs> yeah house of the clock in his walls i don't give a shit it is it's a corporate young adult movie who cares yeah you had a lot of oversight on whatever that. yeah hostile part two i actually like i think it was an accident i don't think he <laughs> intended to say the things he said with that movie necessarily because i just don't give him that credit no right. if he did jokes on me i guess he surprised me with that one and his other movies i haven't seen knock knock i haven't seen death wish i'm not going to i don't give a shit i don't give a shit yeah of his films these are the two that i think have actually a little bit of promise to them conceptually and could be good if they were fixed right you want to fix these movies Andy? let's fix these movies let's show the world what these movies could be okay if they believed in themselves okay if so they weren't so insecure and frightened <laughs> so first up is cabin fever cabin fever cabin fever 2002 the movie that put him on the map the movie that quentin Tarantino himself called with the best new American horror movie. Yeah. Well, look, we don't need to talk about how aggressively straight Quentin Tarantino is (laughs) because he's not a horror filmmaker. So we can just focus on Eli Roth being aggressively straight. Yeah. I'm just saying Eli Roth is where he is because Tarantino. So wait, you're saying that aggressively straight, leads to more aggressively straight. Yes, what I'm saying, it's, it's like a drag mother scenario. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Quentin Aggr- Tarantino is Eli Roth's drag mom. It's totally true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because aggressively straight is a form of drag. Yeah, oh yeah, no, exactly, know? exactly. It is, it's a, it's gendered performance. Yes. So it, yeah, it's just that they don't know it. Tarantino and Eli Roth don't know they're in drag is the problem. <laughs> That's the problem with, I think, most straight men. That's what toxic masculinity is. Toxic masculinity is... 
It's drag. It's dudes in a patriarchal cartoon drag not understanding that it's drag. Yes. And so they take it very seriously. Oh my God, that's so true. We're geniuses. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's been books written about that. <laughs> anyway, so Cabin Fever. Cabin Fever. Oh golly. Oh golly gee. It's This movie is frustrating because it is a good concept, right? It's yes. Evil Dead, but with a cold. it's it's, if the demonic force in evil dead was a virus yes and then you just give it to eli roth and and then it becomes what it is so let's start with our categories because we're not you know the whole thing about queer eye for the straight guy is that they don't judge their people yeah they just want to make them better yeah it's really hard to not judge the characters in cabin fever yeah well so let's start with it we're doing character hygiene yes first so okay when we're talking about characters i think it is important at least off the bat to acknowledge it's one of those things where it's like representation isn't endorsement so it's like he's judging these people too he doesn't like them but like it never washes for me because it his worst characters i always feel like oh that's the one he identifies with the most like there's just it's a feeling i can't even intellectually or cognitively point to anything necessarily about it that makes me feel this way but it's a feeling i get so like when he says though you're not supposed to like these homophobic characters or these misogynistic characters it's like i don't know if and i also don't know how often he says that because i was gonna watch a bunch of like behind the scenes stuff for both these movies and then i decided that i didn't want to the things that i read were specifically him saying defending his choices of language in these films by saying that's just how people of that age talk which for that era he's not entirely wrong but that completely negates any social responsibility exactly. of being a filmmaker. Exactly. You know, like just because people might talk that way doesn't mean that you should make people talk that way. Also, I do want to say that if you're saying, well, people just talk that way, that's a tell for me as well, because my friends didn't talk that way. Right. We didn't say that shit. And my relatives that did talk that way, I corrected. Yeah, exactly. I remember in 2002 correcting people on this. I remember getting into arguments with friends about this kind of thing because if somebody said that in my presence, I would bring it up. And I had friends that did the same. And then the other friends that like I was friends with, we just didn't say that shit. But yeah, I mean, l- let's name it specifically. Yeah. So like very often in both of these films, things are called gay yeah. and things are referred to by the F word. I think all of our main groups say the F slur at one point. Yeah. I think literally every single one, except maybe Ryder Strong's character. I feel like they at least all say either the F slur or call something gay. Yeah. And also the R word. Yeah. And they're also just like kind of shitty people in general. Yeah. So there's that too. It's like I watch this and he's like, well, that's how people talked. It's like on the one hand, yeah, you have to acknowledge your, your, your responsibility as a filmmaker and your place in the, in the social landscape. And say, and we were wrong to do that, would be a good way to follow that up with, Eli, the next time somebody asks you about this. Right. But also, like, if you're saying people talk like that, that means that you and your circle talk like that. And you still don't see something wrong in it. And it's like, okay, well, cool. I don't like you or your friends. It's an an indictment. Yeah. Of himself, Mm -hmm. you know. Exactly. For sure. Exactly. And so with these characters in particular in Cabin Fever... I feel like that's the thing right off the bat we have to say about them Mm -hmm. is that they're all at the very least casually homophobic. Yes. 
but they're also and casually ableist. Casually ableist. Well, at least one of them is classist for sure. Mm-hmm. And the men are misogynist, and the women, some of them, kind of like display and internalize misogyny. Yeah, I mean, how could you not with this group? Yeah, right. Exactly. And then there's one character in particular that we'll get to that is like the real problem of the bunch. Yeah. So we have the main character, Paul. Paul, Ryder Strong. Then his girlfriend. They're friends. They've been friends for a very long time, and he is romantically interested in her. Yes, but, correct. And this, this whole trip is supposed to be about him winning her over or something. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It makes so, yes. some of it even more fucked up. Yes. So, Karen. So that's Karen, played by Jordan Ladd. Jordan Ladd. And then you have the other couple of the group, Joey Kern's Jeff. Jeff. The who, the blonde pretty boy. Mm-hmm. Like I mean he's he's the friend in Evil Dead, the leader of the group. Right. The like the assertive alpha, like I'm assuming he has money. I get I don't know if it's ever addressed that way, but I just assume he's the like footing the bill for most of this stuff. Hmm. That makes sense. I get that impression from him. Yep. And then you have his girlfriend Marcy. Marcy. Who is the... Played by Serena Vincent. She's the hot girl. She's the hot girl, party girl, smart-ass girl. And then finally, you have Bert. Bert, who sucks. Bert sucks real bad. Bert sucks the most. Bert sucks so bad that it's like one of those situations where you're like, why is he here? Why is he here? Exactly. It's the thing about Bert is that his behavior is so toxic, so awful, so selfish, so fucking evil that being friends with him is an indictment of every single other character. Like even if they didn't all do kind of shitty things on their own, which in my mind, and this is where we come back to the like people just talk that way kind of thing, them doing and saying shitty things makes me buy them being friends with him more. Yeah. Agreed. And inherently just by not only being friends with him, but being close enough friends with him that he is invited to a getaway at a cabin for a week brings them all down. It really does. At some point, I would like to have a greater discussion on this podcast about like the college friend getaway dynamics of like those movies that have that premise. But this isn't the place for it. No. Having said that, I will say <laughs> there are plenty of movies that have similar dynamics and plenty more that do it better. Mm-hmm. And yeah. most of it is because they don't treat their characters like caricatures. Yeah. Bert is somebody who I knew oh, yeah, for a sure. version of. For sure. But I knew the like four or five out of ten version. And Bert is like the nine <laughs> Bert's or the ten. Bert's the 11. Bert's the one that yeah, goes Bert's to 11. 11. Like. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's walking around a room full of dickheads and being like, most dickheads only go to 10. <laughs> this dickhead goes to 11. It's right. Bert. I, yeah, exactly. I had friends that were like the people we barely tolerated, you know, mm-hmm. that we were always having to correct on shit. Right. That were like, exactly. They were the like volume turned down version of Bert. But yeah, when Bert's at full volume, it's like, how the fuck do any of you put up with this? Mm-hmm. Oh, because you're awful people too. And that's what this says about you. So having said that, all of the homophobia and misogyny and shit that we're talking about, these other characters, it's all kind of a study with them. With Bert, there's no filter. There's nothing to read into. It's literally, this is just what he is. It's just constantly a fount of these terrible bigotries and prejudices and like insecurities. So when we're talking about character hygiene and improving it, 
the only thing possible to do in this group is to kill Bert. You just get rid of Bert yeah. immediately. Immediately. Just There's take no him out of the him. movie. Yeah. <laughs> like He does not belong. I understand that if you're going to do the horror thing, especially this where you're trying to have little misdirects and like you're trying to maybe say something about the human element in tragedies and how that exacerbates the horror of things. We'll get to this. I, spoiler, I don't think Eli Roth is smart enough to be playing in that sandbox. Right. But if that's what you're doing, I understand why you think you would need Bert. I promise you, you do not. No. You There are plenty of other characters that can be the ones to do fucked up things. And it's usually more interesting when it's not a character that just from the first thing he says, you go, oh, this guy's the problem. Right. Like, there's no drama in that. There's no surprise in that. There's no, there's nothing compelling about that. So just get rid of Bert entirely. And the movie is already 30% better. Agreed. So then focusing on the other characters, because Bert's gone. Gone. Okay, so, gosh, where to start? Jeff and Marcy. Yeah. I honestly don't know how much Jeff needs work. I think Jeff's biggest problem was that he left. Well, yeah, he disappears for a good chunk of like most of the second act and most of the third act. Jeff is gone, right? So we don't really see him at his worst like we see the other three at their yeah. worst. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea with that is that Jeff's worst is being gone, is yeah. like running away selfishly to preserve himself, being all on his own. Mm-hmm. But not showing us what that is for him is a mistake. Yeah, here's the thing: you get rid of Bert, we lose all of Bert's solo stuff. You got more time for Jeff. Yeah. We need more of Jeff. As it stands now, Jeff is kind of a cold storage if we're doing a hot or not alive. Agreed. Because I don't know enough about him. Mm -hmm. He is kind of the most generic of these characters. He's the most generic slasher character in this movie. Right. And I think there is this element of like, on some level, we're supposed to applaud him for his choices. And I can't actually tell. Or are we supposed to judge him? Yeah, I don't know. Well, that's the thing. All of them do both selfish, shitty things in bad moments and things where I think we're supposed to sympathize with them. Right. And it's never, sometimes it feels uncharacteristic. You know, I do think a lot of them have business and actions that need to be swapped around. Yeah. But specifically in Jeff's case, him leaving the group is in response to a number of their choices that are suspect in regards to a a clearly contagious disease. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and him saying, and and them not listening to him and him saying, okay, well, if you're not listening to me, then I'm leaving. And I feel like that is a reasonable choice. I think it's very reasonable. Jeff's the one that like, he would survive the last two years of COVID. (laughs) He would be the one that his friends are like, you're like addicted to the pandemic. Like Jeff's still wearing his mask. You know, Jeff's like me. He's still like wearing his mask in public, not going out as much. Like there's almost like after COVID, you look at this movie and you're kind of like, I get Jeff. Yeah, and maybe maybe that's the problem, is yeah. that back then I was supposed to judge Jeff a lot more than I judge yeah, him now yeah, post-COVID. Exactly. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Jeff is the one that's like, am I the only one that's afraid of getting the fatal disease right now? Right. So in a way, I kind of take back the generic thing about him. I think you're right. Jeff is fine. We do need to see more of him yeah. when he goes off by himself. But you give him a little more stuff than just like he's afraid of germs suddenly mm-hmm. and i think he's a i think he's your easily your best character yeah in the movie you're right he needs the least amount of work and then marcy marcy when marcy fucks paul 
that is one of the things about this movie that I'm like, oh, this is this is why I'm, we should use the term aggressively straight. Yeah, because- especially, especially because of her monologue preceding her fucking Paul. Yeah. Is, to me, the monologue is more aggressively straight than the actual sex act. <laughs> of her yeah. talking about, like, as if they're on a plane that's crashing and the first yeah. thing you want to do is grab the nearest person and fuck them. Yeah. Uh, first of all, if you're on a plane that is crashing, that's not the first thing you do. No. I, I highly doubt that you don't have time. Yeah. And also you're in panic mode. And when you're in panic mode, that basically shuts down your yeah. sex drive. I'm like, Marcy, I wish I wish Paul had just been like, have you been on a plane that crashed? Yeah. She says that story like she's been on a plane that crashes. <laughs> yeah. I went on a plane that crashed. And the next thing I knew, I had all of my holes filled. <laughs> but I honestly feel like she just is horny. And yeah. that's like the first analogy she came to, which is a terrible it's analogy. It's a terrible analogy. Plus, it doesn't wash because... This is a communicable disease that's killing all of you. That at this point, neither of them know whether or not they have it. Yeah. And that they don't know how it spreads. Yeah. So, again, Marcy's whole thing. Yeah. Also, it's treated like a joke. Yeah. Like, because the, there's a punchline. The, like, we're going to fuck thing is kind of like a punchline. Like, it's a letter. It's a letter to Penthouse. It's the horror version yes. of a letter to Penthouse. Is that yeah. how that whole thing feels? And it feels like it was definitely written by a straight man like recalling a letter to penthouse that he read like it feels very much like a virgin talking about what women like in bed and as an extension of that i feel like marcy feels like a penthouse character yeah 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 yeah. you know yeah which sucks because she is an interesting person and she also is a beautiful actress and i feel like you could do a lot more with her and this movie just wants her to be like kind of two notes see this is why hostile part two is my favorite eli roth movie because it's just, it's, the, it, oh my God, women who are characters? <laughs> the women are people in this Imagine movie? Imagine that. Can you believe it? Well, because let's, I mean, while we're talking about it, let's throw Karen in there. Because Karen is the opposite of Marcy in that she is just like a one-note good girl. Except, and this is again where the idea that Eli Roth isn't necessarily indicting these characters comes into play for me. Because if Karen is a good girl, she does a lot of, she sucks. Karen also sucks. Well, she says the arsler. Okay. She says she says the thing to Paul. Oh my God! When, when Paul's like, "Is this a date?" and she's like, "Don't date? be she gay." Says, Don't be gay and swims away. And it's like, mm. but I mean that that again is more of an indictment of Eli Roth. Than that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is it's like if if he thinks she's the good girl, and he still has her saying and doing these things without being called on it. It's like uh, your whole worldview is kind of fucked, my friend. Mm. Anyway, but as far as what it says about the character to me is, I don't know, it just says to me that she's inconsiderate. That she's, you know... And when when that grim guy is there, Eli Roth, Karen's talking to him, and he's leaving. And she says, come back, bring the weed. And it's very much like a... You only get to come back. You're only coming back because we want to smoke your weed. And it's like, I don't know, that's not... Final girl shit, man. That's not cool person shit. Right. Like, I don't know. Grim I mean, sucks, but like. He sucks. And they were all five of them ready to dismiss him. Yeah. Until they found until out. Until they found out weed. he had weed. Which like, okay, I get it. I've been hard up. I understand a little bit. But I don't know. It's a movie. If you want me to know your characters are good, don't have them do shitty things like that. Right. Unless like the moral complication is the point. And again, <sighs> not smart enough. Yeah. <laughs> 
Anyway, she's kind of, yeah, she's very, other than that, she's very one note and bland. Mm-hmm. And like, she, she has this story. She tells this story about being essentially assaulted and kissed against her will. We're, this is my segue into talking about Paul. Okay. Because Paul's takeaway from it is, oh, were you grossed out because you were kissing somebody? It's like he's so fucking clueless that it's like he hears this story that is her like, oh, it's gross. This guy I didn't want to kiss me, grabbed me and kissed me. And he's like, it's almost like, well, so you're saying I have a chance? Like it, And it's just like, that's not, that's not the move here. And again, yeah. it's an indictment of Roth, not the characters, but it's hard to, but you can't peel the two apart. As a character, Paul is very nice guy. Yeah. I mean, every choice he makes is that nice guy idea. Yeah, the quote, quote unquote nice guy. Yeah. Like, I've been your friend for this long, so I deserve to yeah. be your boyfriend now. Yeah, yeah. it's like they, the movie is telling you that there's an interest on both sides. It's weird. Like, you see the people pressuring. You see, like, Bert, for example, pressuring Paul about Karen because everybody knows he's got this thing for Karen. So they're all trying to push him to act on it. Don't be a pussy, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But, like... It also feels like he pushes back a little bit against it. He pushes back against it until he doesn't. Well, that's the thing. Because And then he rockets in the other direction because let's just call it out. Yeah. Right? So he, after like, like literally they they kiss, right? Yeah. They have their makeout session on the raft. Yeah. And then that's it before. Yeah, that's their only. Their only physical intimacy, only right? Intimacy, yeah. And then when she's like almost comatose because she is suffering from a flesh-eating virus, his response is to finger her. Yeah. And it is not clear what the consent is on this because she's moaning a little bit, but she's also sick. And well, in, and I think that when he pulls his finger away and it shows that it's incredibly bloody, yeah. that that shows the moaning might not have been her pleasure. Exactly. She's sick. She's not feeling well. She's been in bed. She's probably delirious. It's not clear that she's conscious. She seems unconscious right. the entire time that he is touching her. She doesn't. She never opens her eyes. She never verbalizes anything. I don't think she's conscious. No, I And agree. again, this is another thing where it's like the, the music that's playing is romantic music. It's like this kind of like sweet, like swelling, like everything's cool music. And then until the hand comes away and we have that like menstrual panic visual reference. That's what I mean is that this film is on the side of the nice guy, but he's still a nice guy, you know, like in that he thinks he's doing right. And the horror is supposed to be like, oh, this is supposed to be something like cute and sexual and sexy and like, oh, it's actually horrific and bloody. But the horror is actually from the beginning. Yeah, and that's when the music turns into like the horror music. Is the yeah. It's a punchline, you know? It's to aid the visual, which has several problematic elements on its own. But again, it's horror. Transgression is the point sometimes. But yeah, you're right. It's like, it doesn't treat what he's doing as the horror. Right. It treats what... What he's doing is fine. And, exactly. And that's, again, what the fuck. So this is where we pull Paul back. Yeah. You know, as... For our queer eye, we we okay. Paul, you do not put your finger inside a woman without her consent, her yeah. direct and clear consent. So what? Yeah, you're, what we do is we give Paul some informed consent literature. Yes, absolutely. And again, hey, here's the thing: without Bert there, 
maybe some of that external pressure isn't there. Without Bert constantly being like, when are you going to make your fucking move? She's going to fuck this other guy. Mm-hmm. Ew. So maybe, I mean, that's part of the problem. Then you give Paul a brochure on consent, maybe yep. some feminist literature. You give them all a little presentation on languaging. Yes. Which again, yes. without Bert there, might be easier to do. Yep. Because Bert's not taking that presentation well. No, Bert. There's no way you can give that presentation to Bert. Bert's going to be disruptive during that and, class. And Bert yeah. will ruin it for everybody exactly. else. And also Bert has that physical intimidation factor to him too. Yeah. And that rage problem where maybe on some subconscious level, some of these people are socializing themselves out of fear of Bert. You know, whatever. No, Bert. Give them all a talk about language yeah. and awareness. Mm-hmm. And consent. Yes, yeah, so that's that's our overview of character hygiene for Cabin Fever. Yeah. I feel like this is a short one, but just as fashion. an aside, fashion yeah. for the group. It's all very early aughts. Yes, it it's is all very, very early, aughts. early aughts. Very gendered early aughts. Yeah, Serena Vincent's wearing that the low-rise jeans with the flare. I mean, and then she's adorable. And like her canoeing outfit. It's very early aughts. I love that she canoes. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I mean, she's also just like, what's going to look bad on Serena Vincent? Nothing. Nothing. You know? It's impossible. Yeah. And also, all these people are hot. Yes. Like, all of them. I mean, I, I, I would comment on Bert's outfits. Oh, it's... All yeah. his, like, his backwards cap that says F you. But we're getting rid of Bert, so we don't need yeah, to fix we don't need to worry. We don't need to worry about Bert's fashion. It's early aughts bro is what yeah. his fashion is. It's like very clearly early aughts bro. And we don't, and he's gone, so whatever. I would say, I think the women are fine. I don't really remember much about Karen's looks, but I would say the guy's looks. <laughs> well, I'll tell you my favorite Karen look is when she's got the, when she's walking into the shed with the big blanket on her, <laughs> with the like, with the cows or cowboys or whatever, horses or whatever's on that blanket. Uh huh. That's my favorite Karen look. Okay. Well, that's not that's, her that's blanket. That's like, that is, that is influenza eleganza. <laughs> it's, it's I'm spending the day in bed in the shed, and I'm sick. Someone bring me soup and a cigarette. <laughs> that is exactly that yeah. look, yeah. I would say the guys in the movie in general just have an incredibly boring look. Like the most generic possible. Yeah, yeah. They're just straight people in the early aughts. This is what they look like. Correct. Right. You know? I looked boring. Honestly, as a gay person in the early aughts, I actually looked boring as well. Early aughts was kind of boring. For guys. Yeah. Guy fashion in the early aughts. Yeah. Just like baggy clothing that Mm. was like... Unless you were like in the emo scene. Not loud. Don't call attention to yourself. (laughs) Yeah. You know whose look I really do like though? Who? The woman, uh, Henry's cousin, the woman whose house that uh, Bert and Jeff go to when they're looking for a phone to call for help mm-hmm. and they find the woman slaughtering the pig. Oh, she's yeah. for one overalls, you know? Yeah. I just, I love overalls. I will always love overalls on anybody mm-hmm. and the flannel and uh, goggles. She's got some goggles on. It's a good look. Her gloves. She's wearing like these like orange gloves. It is good yeah. look. Best look of the movie. Yeah. Easily. Easily. Okay. So we don't have a lot to say about fashion, but, I feel like we might have a lot to say about the next one. Design or Design. filmmaking. The cinema. I am going to say something about this movie. Ooh, okay. I think it's well shot. Hmm. And I think the music is good. 
Mm-hmm. Of course, a lot of the music is Angelo Badalamenti. Of course, that's good. Of course, because it is. it's Angelo Badalamenti. Yes, but I do think this movie is well shot. Unlike the next movie, <laughs> we're going to talk about. I think that the camera here is mostly really good. So, those are my nice things about the design of this film. <laughs> okay, and what do you have negative things to say? Oh yeah, everything else. <laughs> The writing I don't like. I, I I hate the flashback thing. I he does this thing in this and in the next movie where our main character has some kind of traumatic story. It's weird though because it's not his trauma. Paul has this whole thing where he's telling the campfire story in a shot that is a definite reference to Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, mm-hmm. and I and it's actually it pulls it off. It's a yeah. it's a good shot. Mm-hmm. But he tells this story about the bowling alley, and it's. He, he's like building it up. Like it's always this traumatic story. And it's like, but you weren't involved in any part of it. How is this? It's traumatic for you because it's the bowling alley you went to as a kid. It doesn't like there's a disconnect. And I also just think it's a time waster. Yeah. I, I honestly, that story would have been a lot more memorable if it didn't have the, yeah. the cutaways. And if there was some connection to him, <laughs> like if it wasn't True. just the bowling alley I went to used to have a thing. It's like, there's no personal trauma. You don't have a relationship to it. Really? I feel like we actually need to focus more on the second half of the film because that's where this movie falls apart. Yeah. And that's where it is all over the place. It has no focus. It is just messy storytelling. It's, it is messy filmmaking. It's where the camera's not. It's great too. Yeah. And it's the editing sucks. It's mm-hmm. all over the place. Nothing really connects. Yeah. It all feels like a bunch of vignettes just sort of thrown together. Exactly. At it the feel, last yeah, minute. Vignettes that loosely connect. And none of them are visually interesting. Yes. Here's a perfect example of why the second half of the film, I feel like, sucks so bad. Is I was reading this thing that Eli Ross said about the whole pancakes thing. Well, there's your first mistake. And the whole thing about Dennis and the pancake scene and the like, the taekwondo moves is that Eli Roth saw the actor who plays Dennis practicing taekwondo off screen, found out he was a black belt, and then just had him do Mm -hmm. that. And it was just like an off the cuff thing. And he's proud. Eli Roth is proud of himself for including that as an off the cuff thing. Yeah. I mean, and and granted, it is one of the most memorable things about this movie because it's so fucking random and out of the field, which characterizes the entire second half of this movie. And I feel like it's very indicative of what all of those vignettes, the problem with them are, Mm -hmm. is that they feel like they're drawn from things that are just like, this would look cool. This feels right. Oh, this is an idea I just had. And then just like loosely connecting them to everything else. Yeah. And I think that that's, I think what that says to me, and this is maybe giving him a little credit, which I am loath to do, but he's a big fan of Italian films. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this stuff at the end of this movie feels very Italian in that way, in that it seems kind of loose and out of left field, random as it were, and and just weird and bizarre and surreal. Mm -hmm. But the problem with it is that it, even in Italian movies, there's some kind of like, I can see that, you know, or the surrealism of it has an aesthetic that's interesting right? or has a thrust to it. And here it doesn't. And that's the problem. He does that shit. And it's like, you know, oh, it's, I just thought it would be funny. It's kind of random, you know? And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, but, but why? Like, right. what, is there something underneath it? Because I'll tell you, all those Italian filmmakers, as weird and bizarre and out of fucking nowhere as some of that stuff might seem, they could probably sit down and be like, oh no, this is what I was trying to say. Right. 
I mean, it's not. I guess it's not the end of the world if you don't have that, but at least make it interesting. And that's the sin for me is that none of it's really interesting. And yeah, like you, it's 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 all disconnected. Right. So that's that's the problem. Like yeah. you need at least one of the three of being reasonable, sensical, or interesting. Yeah. And it, it, none it, of it is any. Strike, of strike, strike. You're out. Yeah. None of it adds up. Yeah, like the scene where he's the mob, whatever the the hillbillies. Mm-hmm. The rednecks, the the marginalized people of the you know the rural American South are hunting him, are hunting the kids that they think are doing satanic rituals, which is just like whatever. That whole scene where Bert dies, right? They raid the cabin, they shoot Bert because he's sitting in the yeah. chair, mm-hmm. and that's how Ryder Strong gets away. Yeah, but Ryder Strong has that fight with the other guys, mm-hmm. right? And he kills them all. And it's boring. There's no energy to it. He stabs a guy in the ear with a screwdriver. And it's just like such a bland reveal. Such a bland gag. I I remember thinking that. just like, how do you make a guy getting stabbed in the ear with a screwdriver boring? There's nothing to it. It's not special at, at all. And then the, I had the same problem with the when the showdown with the at the party when he finds the the kegger that mm-hmm. Winston's at, and it's like this big like climactic kind of set piece, but it's like boring and confusing, and you can't tell what's going on. It's just and then it, and it drags too. This movie is ninety two minutes. It feels like it's three hours long. It really does. It feels so long. It drags. Well, so I feel like we can transition to the, the fourth category, and that's yeah. blood and gore. Because you're, you're kind of starting to touch yeah. on it. Because part of the big thing about this movie is it pretends to be a lot gorier than it actually is. Yeah. Like, I remember, like, in the scene in the, in the theater, I remember when everyone in the theater, like, reacted to her, Marcy shaving her legs mm-hmm. and the, like, the gore reveal there, and everyone being like, eh. And then watching it again now, and it's like, it's oh, nice. it's just... It's just a kind of, sort of, gnarly 2D makeup applied and then with shaving cream put over it. And then the razor just wipes the cream off to reveal the thing. But there's no prosthetic to it, really. There's no, like, there's no pull-away piece. There's no action in it. Right. It's not like she's actually shaving her skin off. She's yeah. just revealing sores and yeah. gore. Yeah. And they do yeah. it with this, the foley of, this, of the, sh- the razor sound. Yeah. But it's like, even that is like, mm. I do like Karen's face. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, that yeah. gore effect. When, when they open the... Oh, you mean at the very end? When yeah, it's like when it's like Her half. teeth, yeah. yeah. I do like the makeup on her when they open the shed... When Marcy opens the shed up to try to give her food, and she's smoking cigarettes, and she just has that, like, sick makeup, you know? Mm-hmm. I love that. Better close the door, Marcy. I just love that. Yeah. I don't know. I love that moment. I love that beat. I love, like, that she's, like... She looks like shit, you know? She looks just, like, gross, but she's just smoking this cigarette, defiant. I, I don't know. I like it. Yeah, I would agree. That's a great bead. That's the Karen face I like. That's the Karen look that I like. <laughs> okay, you like Karen her look, mug when her yeah. lips are gone. Yeah, when half her face is <laughs> yeah. off. I don't know. There's just, honestly, for as gross as this movie is, yeah. as people talk about this movie and as it pretends to be, it's not that gross. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an icky concept is what yes. it is. And here's the thing, too, is that, like, when you talk about like FX heavy horror movies, mm-hmm. that you know splatter movies specifically, movies that deal in the horror of biology or anatomy in like really explicit, extreme ways, I feel like there's this 
it's just you call it ick. But there's like queer ick, and then there's like straight ick. Uh-huh. And this is straight ick. It's like straight, something like yeah. Society, the movie Society. I look at that, and I'm like, okay, that's queer ick. Most of David Cronenberg's Cronen- ick is yeah. queer ick. Cronenberg's the same, yeah. But then like you get this, and it's like, oh, it's straight ick. Like yeah. this and Saw are like straight ick. I like that way to describe it. Yeah. yeah. What's the sexuality of your ick horror movie? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's round this off with culture and lifestyle. I mean, I feel like we've covered this already. A lot of it, at least. I think that the big piece of the culture and lifestyle of Cabin Fever is its classism. Really? I feel like, you know, there's obviously it just inherently in this setup, there is this very much like this rural versus urban this like deliverance Mm -hmm. kind of set up to it that like doesn't quite know what it's trying to say yeah in that like it keeps doing this thing with the rural characters where it has (laughs) them be like you know like the the shop owner who Uh, like uses the n-word but then like later it's revealed that he actually has black customers and that's who he's referring but that's still not okay it's still not okay but like you're supposed to be like, oh, maybe he's a good guy. But then at the end, we're all supposed to be rooting for the fact that they're all imbibing this water that's infected. Yeah. And then, you know? the, yeah, exactly. You never know if it's at their expense or if it's on their side because our characters come away from that being like, oh, they're racist. And it even like, again, I'm giving him too much credit because this is definitely accidental. But when Jeff says the word again mm-hmm. and Karen calls him out and is like, you don't just don't just call it the n-word you don't have to say it right it's like that whole thing where it's like oh they think they're better than him but then they go off and they're saying the f-slur all over the fucking place mm. and it it's just like yeah you don't know what it's saying no you don't know what its point is and if you don't know what its point is then its point is on the side of oppression is it tends to be how it works yes and i would say that the final scene of this film which is that like hokey music played over that party where they're all drinking the infected water tells me that like we're supposed to be laughing at them for getting infected now. So that tells me that we're also supposed to be judging them. Yeah. You know, so I don't think we're supposed to be on their side in any way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't think we're supposed to be on anybody's side. That's the thing is that Eli Roth is anti-human. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like he was doing it for the memes before there were memes. You know, it's like he's... He's kind of where some of the irony bro shit came from, maybe. Like, yeah, irony bro, like, whatever, like, that turned into the shit posters that all ended up getting radicalized by Trump or QAnon or whatever. Mm-hmm. All these fucking nutcases. Like, all these people that are, like, we're just, like, doing it for the fucking attention. Yeah. Like, all these people that are, like, fascist for the lulls. Yes. You know, it's, like, that shit. It's, like... It's just an extension of that like indifferent, privileged, white boy, edgelord stuff that started here. Exactly. At this era of, of culture. Yes, I agree with you. The one thing I will say is that I do feel like this film is on Paul's side if it's on anybody's side. Yeah. But it's still, when you take it as a whole, exactly indicative of that, you know, like white, cis, straight, male privilege writing a script. That's what this film is. You know, it's like we can make these jokes. We can play in these arenas without any consequence or worry about what any of this means. And we can like take all of these people as jokes. Yeah, it's the it's it's the, you know, early aughts horror version of Are You Triggered? LOL. Mm -hmm. You know, like, oh, I offended you. I win. Yeah. Yeah. I think where it fits in the culture, what it says about culture and lifestyle is like 
it doesn't say anything. And therefore it says all the abhorrent things. And I think that if we're going to make this movie queer friendly, yeah, we got all the stuff we talked about, obviously, but also like for one, there's too many dogs. We need some cats. (laughs) The movie needs some cats. And also, we shouldn't kill all the dogs. Like all those. You know what? Why have so cats? many dogs? Why die? just not like? Let's just take the dogs out. Why? We don't need animals. In no this animals. Movie. No animals. Yeah. Pig lady's still in there. Mm-hmm. Of course. The lady carving up the pig. You know what? I say we make the movie mostly about her. Okay, I'm into that. And her dispute over tainted livestock. Yeah. <laughs> and her protecting her livelihood yeah. against this external threat. Yeah. 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 Exactly. That's the movie I want to see. Yeah. And. The sex scene between uh, Jeff and Marcy needs to not be so boring. Yeah. It's just missionary and then a prostate simulation, I guess, for him. Like, is the movie judging him for that? I don't yes, know. Yeah, for sure okay. it is. It's very early 2000s humor. Like, yeah. I don't think that that joke would fly now. I mean, if it weren't a joke, I would say keep that in, but make it like a nice thing. Legitimate yeah. sexual exploration yeah, yeah, or yeah. expression. Yeah. Yeah, because the thing is, is that like it's a routine for them. Like she knows this is what he likes. Also, for any straight guy listening to this that doesn't know this already, (laughs) that is a very pleasurable thing. And if you haven't explored that, maybe you should, (laughs) you know, what are you going to lose? Yeah, that's there's no judgment there. Yeah. Like literally you have a G spot and it is in (laughs) there. You just have to know how to access it. And when that's the thing, Jeff knows how to access. it. Yeah, yeah. And he communicated that to Marcy. Mm-hmm. And she was all on board yeah. for doing that. And I applaud both of I them. I just wish this scene wasn't just missionary. And then that. Yeah. And that was I it. I think so, yeah. That was it. Take some notes from Jason Goes to Hell, Eli Roth. <laughs> Make that scene hotter. Yeah. Give us more in that scene. If you're going to do it, do it. Spice it up. Yeah. Make it interesting. It's just really dull. And even the like horrific element of the Paul and Marcy sex scene is... First of all, the sex isn't sexy enough and the horror isn't horrific enough to create any kind of contrast when when yeah. Paul is like yeah, scratching yeah, yeah. her no, back yep. and it turns into these sores. Yeah, that. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's like that's icky. It's again, it's, but it's straight, straight. It's straight icky because this, it's just boring sex. Yeah, boring sex. And then boring to, like, gore. Boring gore. Oh my God, is that what straight icky straight is? Straight icky is boring sex and boring gore. <laughs> and look, I don't want to say that all straight people are boring in bed. No, that's not the case. But like, again, the idea of queerness is, a you know, you have to be deconstructing sexuality to some degree to be any good at it, right? Yes. Like, it has to be a thing that you think about or that you work on. And that is well, queer. Yeah, because it, it is it. dismantling yeah. the heteronormative aspects yes. of sexuality, which is inherently queer. You don't have to be queer to do that, yeah. but it is queer. Yeah, it is, a, it, is a, it is a queer or queer adjacent act. Yes, Okay. So that's Cabin Fever. So that's Cabin Fever. I I will tell you this. I do like the effect of the corpse in the the reservoir. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a cool thing. But again, he just falls in and immediately gets out. And it's like, oh, it's straight icky. The idea of it is is enough for you, I guess. Yeah. Should we move on? Yeah, we should definitely move on. We should retitle it, though. To what? I want to call it Karen is Sickening. (laughs) Karen is Sickening? Okay, sure, actually, uh, sure. Karen is sickening. Karen is what? Sickening. (laughs) Done. And that leads us to our next film. Today, we're talking about Hostel (laughs) from 2006. It's it's, it's a great title because it's it's one of those words that sounds like another word. 
You know, it's what do they call that? It's a homonym. I want to slap you right now. And uh, so it's got a double meaning almost to it. You know, hostile. It's a place you stay, right? But hostile, H-O-S-T-I-L-E, means you know, hostile, means I'm threatening. So annoyed. And it's intimidating. And that's, oh man, that's so great. Oh my God, I hate you. Yeah. Okay. We are queer eyeing <laughs> for the straight fright. Okay. And in this movie specifically too, like whereas Cabin Fever is aggressively straight, and maybe casually homophobic through just virtue of being super invested in heteronormativity. Mm-hmm. Hostile is outwardly, actively homophobic. Yes. It is a homophobic movie. Yes. With homophobic characters and tropes and themes and dialogue. Mm-hmm. So, reader beware, you're in for a scare. <laughs> And also xenophobic, but that goes without saying. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a movie made about Eastern Europeans uh, by an American. <laughs> right. So. Fun fact. Uh-oh. So when... I feel like this fact is not going to be so fun. <laughs> when the Czech Republic and Slovakia both came out against these films back in the day when it was released, mm-hmm. Eli Roth defended it by saying, Americans don't even know where those countries are. And so this could be a film about anywhere. And, and it's like, that, that's the... This is why (laughs) this is why I know when he does something right, it's accidental. Yeah, is because he says shit like this on purpose. Mm -hmm. What the fuck is wrong with you? Like I'm making a movie that's lampooning dumb Americans. No, you are the dumb American because you just said Americans are too dumb to know where these countries are. And it's like you're naming the place, right? You know, I don't know. It's uh, that's a whole other thing. If we we get into the xenophobia and, like, the weirdness of, like, an American... Like, obviously, Eastern Europe has its history, right? Mm -hmm. And so that informs some pretty dark culture and films from Eastern European nations. That's for them to do, you know? True, but even in this case, if an American wanted to take that on... There are smarter Eastern European countries to do that with where there is a lot of like more gray area in terms of how those countries function in modern society. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Slovakia is not really a problem. Right, <laughs> if you right. Look at- like go further east. Yeah. I- I'm not making a judgment, a blanket judgment about certain countries. No, I'm just saying that like, especially at the time that this film was made, there were a lot more interesting places to set this. Yeah. Exactly. Like Slovakia, it's just, it's almost like it sounds scarier to him or something. And that's why. Like, yeah, exactly. You chose it because it sounded scary. I mean, look, any country that has a new wave film movement, yeah. (laughs) They probably aren't doing uh, torture, murder, black sites, you know, in the black market. Like, it's probably not, that's probably not where that's happening. Right. But okay, let's get into it. So, I mean, unless you count the torture murder black site that the Chicago police were running in this country. Yeah, well, if we're just going to just blanket statements and things, I will say that the problem with films like this is that human trafficking is actually a very real Mm -hmm. and important problem to address that this film does not address. Because this film focuses on the hyper-privileged, and that's not who's being trafficked. No. You know, like... We don't have a lot of taken scenarios. I'm, yeah. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Yeah. I'm just saying that like it is not where the majority of these people are coming from that are being exploited and used and murdered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what? But it's also, look, story. like, okay, you know, the argument you can make here is that horror is often about chickens coming home to roost. 
horror is often about the the people who are privileged whose privilege the machinery that affords them privilege is often responsible for evil awful things that hurt others and that uh, sometimes the horror element is that machinery coming back against the privileged or the people who were hurt by it becoming monstrous themselves to turn on the privileged and and there's a whole lot to talk about there in horror in general mm-hmm. but again this movie is not saying that. No. And that's uh, that's partially, partially yeah. why Hostel 2 is more interesting. Yeah. Because yeah. it does say some of that. It does say, yeah, it does say a little bit of that. <sighs> but unfortunately, we're talking about the first one. Yes. So, you know, let's stop getting aside because we yeah. could go on forever. We really could. Let's get into the queer eye. Yeah. All right. So okay. we're starting with character hygiene. Character hygiene. Gosh. Oh, so God. our characters are Paxton, our protagonist who, okay, let's just call this what it is. Josh is our final boy. Yes. He is our red herring final boy. Yep. Paxton is the, what would be the cream screen friend of the final boy yep. or final girl. The the best friend you expect to bite it. The early. party animal friend. Yeah. yeah. The the reckless party animal friend. And then Ollie is the like clueless foreigner. Yes. Friend of theirs. Yeah. And he's, I mean, it's weird. He's the party animal friend too. And this is another thing that Hostel 2 does better is that it has at least one character who's a nerd. Yeah. Like, none of these characters are nerd. Like, Paxton is constantly calling Josh a nerd. But, I mean, hey, they both say the F slur in the first, like, 10 minutes of the movie. God, yeah. So they're both fucking This movie shitty. wastes no time to let you know it's homophobic. Yeah. <laughs> and other and misogynist. Like, it's pretty misogynist pretty early on as well. But, yeah, the homophobia, especially in the club scene, because we, we just see, we see Paxton giving Josh shit about his fanny pack. And there's definitely like homophobia in that. Yes. And so we we there's this like bully dynamic going on. But then immediately Josh gets in a fight with another guy and calls him the F word. Like <sighs> there's no there's nobody to root for. No. Already. Immediate like this movie sets its characters up almost immediately for you to hate them all. Yeah. And most of it is to misdirect. But again, Eli Roth was a bad person, probably, <laughs> if he thinks this is just how people talk. Was? I mean, still is, Yeah. but whatever. So, okay, all right. Here's the one thing I will say, as far as, like, fixing these characters goes, like, getting them to be better. Mm-hmm. Ollie? Ollie is interesting. There's a lot going on with Ollie mm-hmm. under the surface that we are not privy to. He has a kid. He was married for eight years. The reveal of that is interesting. He wants to have fun. He knows people all over the place. And he genuinely is just excited mm-hmm. to be alive. He also says, of course, my horse. Which of I course, think is my adorable. horse. I really love that. I love, I, that, I, I so love that so much. Of course, my horse. Of course, my horse. I'm going to start saying, can we start saying that? <laughs> yeah, of, of course, course my, my horse. horse. Okay. <laughs> and here's my thing about Ollie. All of his problems come from his straight man identity. Yes. Like the first thing we see him do is take a woman who is... So high that she almost seems unconscious and delivers her to the table of Paxton and Josh. And this is how we meet Ollie. And so fucked up that the other two actually call Exactly. So fucked up that the other two guys who at least one of them seems like he has assaulted someone. Yes. Says it's this is this is this would be rape. Like this is illegal. We can't do that even here. It is weird that his hang up about it is the legality and not the moral wrongness of it. I mean, it's not that weird when you it's, consider Yeah, the because he's in law school and it's like, oh no, believe me, I'm like I would love to rape. 
but I'm studying law, and the law says it's wrong. So until we make the law that it's okay, then I can't do it. Like, it's weird. Mm -hmm. But again, not weird, because Because Paxton's a piece of shit. And then just a little creepiness about women. That again, it doesn't ever seem malicious or... But part of my problem, and again, this goes back to the writing and directing of Mm -hmm. this, but the reason it doesn't ever seem malicious is because it's playing on the dumb foreigner trope with him. Oh, for sure. Which is sad because Ollie does come across as a genuinely interesting and good person cloaked in an Eli Roth outfit. Yeah, exactly. But the thing to me is that he's not Bert. He's the party animal character who it's like, it doesn't seem like he's this way because he's insecure. It doesn't seem like he's this way because he's got this intense fragility about his identity. And he's also not irreparably this way. No, no. There are a couple just tweaks you make to him. And here's my thing. You make Ollie gay Hmm. or at least queer, bisexual in some way, like that kind of goes away. Yeah, the yeah, stuff yeah, that's yeah. wrong with him like, goes away. You make him the Chaz from Exactly. Hellbent. You make him Chaz. Yeah, well, he'll swing whatever way. Whoever mm-hmm. gets into bed with him, he will go there. Mm-hmm. You know? Because I have to say, like, the scene of him fucking that woman in the bathroom at the club and taking a picture of her, it's like the taking a picture of her is the part and sending it to his friends is the part that's like, this feels not okay. Right. I don't mind that you're fucking her in a bathroom at a club. That's fine. But like, there's also a part of me that's like, would I feel less weird about it if he were, if it was him and a guy fucking, and he took a picture and sent it to his friends? I mean, I would if it was without his consent. Would, yeah, exactly. The problem you is that the, he's doing it behind her back. He's doing it without her knowing. So it. you yeah. do it with her knowing or him knowing. Yeah. You know, or even have him or her take the picture. The yeah, other exactly. Like, uh, that would be so hot. It's, it's just like the sex stuff in Cabin Fever, where it's like you just make it consensual. Put it on equal ground. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Make it sex and not a weird patriarchal power thing that's at the heart of the problem with this movie with paxton and josh and ollie to a little bit of a lesser extent i think the the thing because they're specifically and explicitly and they make no bones about it being sex tourists essentially yes uh, yes absolutely. they are going to places to fuck and i i don't want to get into all the complicated reasons that that's uh, largely reprehensible but the thing with Ollie is it's like he's scoring. And so it's fine. But if he were just, if it were more ethical, and I think that that would come with making him a queer character as opposed to this like dumb foreigner caricature who loves boobies. Well, and know? also in the opposite way that just being around Bert lowered the entire group by yeah. making Ollie queer, it would help raise this group. I mean, yeah. you still need to take the F word out of their <laughs> fucking mouths. Here's what you do. You have Paxton use that word, and Ollie go, what, man? Do you have a problem? Like, you, you know I fuck guys, right? And then Ollie explaining it to him, like, no, this is, like, you're wrong. Then you're addressing it, mm-hmm. you know? And then for them all to still to be hanging out together. Yeah. You know, problem solved. Yeah. And then you make it less explicitly about the sex tourism thing, too, I think is a big part. Like, you right. need to get rid of some of the... Hor- I mean, I get the horny American young man thing is a it's a movie premise as old as time but like it's time to be smarter about it at least like different way to get these people to the place you need them or just have them be there yeah like like, they didn't need this like sex drive to go from one country to the next like this alexi character to drive them okay well the alexi thing too is really bothersome because it's like he lays it out for them that like 
oh, the women in this country, there's no men because of war. Yeah. So they want to fuck. And it's like... Like, you don't need this Alexi character. You don't need somebody to tell them, this is the country you go to have sex. Because first of all, I don't buy that they have problems. Yeah, right. And they're both... Here's the thing. They're both attractive. Mm -hmm. They're both young and they're both in Amsterdam. Right. A pretty uninhibited place from my understanding. I've never been there. But also they're going to Barcelona. And it's like... Do you want to go to Slovakia, this place we've never heard about just because this weird Russian guy we met for one night is telling us to go there? Or do we go to Barcelona where we're already going? Right. I just... Well, and he specifically that he told us to go because there's women that want to fuck there. And it's like, I don't know. I, I've never been straight. I don't know if that's how straight <laughs> men work. It's how the sad ones work. Yeah. It's how the okay. ones you don't want to watch movies about work. But honestly, it's how the ones not played by Jay Hernandez work. <laughs> yeah, but so the, in what step one, fucking world does Jay Hernandez have a problem getting laid? Yeah, and half, has to travel halfway across Europe yeah. to find it. Also, this, I want to point this out. This conversation with Alexi happens directly after Jay Hernandez got laid. This yeah. is right after they're at a brothel. And like... Josh has explicitly walked away from the woman he was going to have sex with and turned it down. And Paxton just had sex. So when this guy's like, you're looking for girls, right? Why are they immediately like, yeah, Josh is already like, no, I'm not comfortable having sex with anyone right now. That's obvious. Right. And Paxton is like, you just fucked. Why are you already thinking about the next person you're going to fuck? Like, you need to take a break. So with character hygiene, step one is making Ollie queer. Step two is giving Paxton and Josh a better reason yes. to go to Eastern Europe. Yes. Give them a better reason than just like, oh, we're following our dicks. And it's like, no, you, you don't need to do that. Because, okay, even if you set these characters up to be the type that would do that, which I do somewhat believe, and Jay Hernandez aside... That honestly immediately makes them not likable. Well, exactly, because Alexi just laid it out for them that the reason these women will sleep with you is because of desperation, because of armed conflict and civil wars. Yeah, what person like, hears that and is like, yum. Yeah, what, what person hears that and is like, oh, I'm hard right not now. Not good people. Not terrible who, people. People yes. you don't want to watch a movie about. Yeah, if you go to another country because war has made it easily accessible for heterosexual sex as a man, you are a bad person. Yeah, you're awful. Yeah. You should be taken in by torture <laughs> yeah. monsters. And again, I mean, this goes into the cabin fever territory of like Eli Roth accidentally saying some things that he, I don't think that he's intending to say. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, again, it's kind of believable. Kind of like how you believe everyone in cabin fever is friends with Bert because they do and say terrible things. Like, you kind of believe Paxton would go to this because he like literally just said a woman is a fucking hog. Like, mm -hmm. while about to go pay a woman for sex. Like... God, he sucks so fucking much. Yeah. I hate him. Paxton so is the fucking worst. Much. He and, is the worst of this movie. Yeah, yeah. He's and I feel like I want to call it out specifically because this movie again turns him into the bait and switch final boy and really vilifies all the characters on the other side of this. Yeah. They're trying to do the like, yeah, you don't like him, but he changes thing. And here's the thing. We don't know that he changes mm -hmm. because most of his reprehensible behavior has nothing to do with, I don't know, not helping other people because he, they give him this story and it's like Paul's story in Cabin Fever about this traumatic event he witnessed where he watched a girl drown mm -hmm. 
it's completely out of fucking nowhere. It's really weird that it's in there. Yeah. It's a stretch, but it's also this whole thing about like, oh, he feels guilt. And it really is just like, oh shit, we need to make this character kind of sympathetic for a little bit. We'll give him that. And then the the bookend to that, the payoff to that is when he's escaping from the torture factory and he hears Kana screaming mm-hmm. and decides, well, no, I have to go back and help her. And we get that little moment. And I do applaud Eli Roth for not like giving us a flashback to him saying that or like voiceover of him saying that thing about the girl drowning Agreed, there. Agreed. Because a lot of filmmakers would do a that. A lot of filmmakers would think that we're stupid enough to need that. Mm-hmm. And so I do want to applaud him there. I guess that's a design compliment. Anyway, he goes back for that, and that's the payoff on that. But at no point is there any payoff for his other reprehensible behavior. And it's like, you're not commenting on him changing then. And again, not that you have to like every character in a movie or that every character has to be like virtuous, but like if they're shitty people, you want at least some indication that the movie's not on their side about it. Right. And we don't get that with Paxton. Well, because I think Eli Roth is, <laughs> is on Paxton's yeah, side. He loves is Paxton. He is Paxton. Specifically, though, in character hygiene, I want to call actually attention to the two Slovakian women, Natalia and Svetlana. <laughs> Natalia and Svetlana. Because this movie does a lot to Idols. vilify them. Idols. And I love them. I love them. <laughs> but also, I, I want to point out, and I don't want to get too dark with this, but that like in the context of what we're looking at in terms of the dynamic setup for this business model, those two, Natalia and Svetlana, are absolutely tools that are being forced into this position. Oh, yeah. They're not... Like, if they're doing this, it's not because they think it's funny. No. Or that they want to do it. It's because the desperation has driven them to it. Yeah. Or, I mean, even possibly trafficked into it. But this movie wants us to believe that they're doing it because they think it's fun and funny. And vilifies them for that. And I think this movie would be far more interesting if it had a more nuanced take of those two characters. Yeah, absolutely. Because all you really get of them is the like, oh, they're sexy. And then the reveal of them somehow pointedly without makeup on and like dressed in regular clothes. It really feels like a reverse she's all that moment Mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, look, they're ugly now or they're plain now. No, that was intentional. Their whole thing was an act. Eli Roth said that like he intentionally made them uglier and (laughs) so that like we could see that they were ugly on the inside all along kind of thing. Oh, God. Every time he opens his mouth. Yeah, it's terrible. It makes it worse. Any amount of simp, like a little bit more of any benefit of any doubt I could give him just fucking dissolves. Yep. Justice for Natalia and Svetlana. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> because they are beautiful, even mm-hmm. without their makeup and in their plain clothes. Yeah. They look amazing still. And there's a moment in there that like I love them when they do get a little malevolent. You know? When Paxton's like, take me to the fucking art show or whatever. And he's when he says to Svetlana, you're not coming, I've seen this show. <laughs> I love that. And I love yeah. when Natalia in the car, too, is like, too bad for you. <laughs> like, those little moments are great. And mm-hmm. I love them. And we needed more of them. And you're right. We needed a more nuanced approach to them. We needed more focus on them as well. Yeah. I honestly would rather have their movie. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people in this movie that I would rather have their movie. Yeah, the, all, any of the kids. Any one of oh those. God. The yeah. bubblegum gang. Yeah, the bubblegum <laughs> game, The kid gang. Oh, God, I love them. The front desk clerk. The front desk lady, yeah. Shit, Takashi Miike. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a movie about Takashi Miike's character. 
Hana and Yuki. Ollie, I would love the movie about all. Like, again, it's just focusing on Paxton and Josh is a problem. Yes. Especially once we know Josh is not our guy anymore, you know, and the movie really Which starts really to quick. turn. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the halfway mark. Yeah. One complaint that I, I will say early about the blood and gore is that so both Ollie and Josh's death happen very early, very quick and off screen. And so there's not a lot of tension buildup. Mm-hmm. And so that switch to Paxton happens like really abrupt and in a way that like doesn't allow you to even adjust. This is a design complaint and I yeah, entirely true. agree with it. I think we get rid of Paxton. You know what? I agree with you. Yeah. I, I think in the same way that we get rid of Bert in Cabin Fever, we get rid of Paxton here, or we just make him a lot smaller of a character. Like, there's nothing interesting to me about Other him. Other than that he's hot because it's Jay Hernandez. Uh, yeah, exactly. He's pretty. He's great to look at. I get it. And he's got a good smile, and he's kind of charismatic, even when he's being an absolute piece of shit, and it's infuriating. So we just remove the bait and switch. We just let Paxton die when Josh dies, yeah, right? No, I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. We just kill him off. Don't give him a hero moment. And again, I've said this a million times. I don't think we should only kill characters we dislike in movies. Right, of course. And I don't necessarily think that giving us a person that we dislike who comes out on top is wrong. It's just, I don't know what the fuck to do about Paxton. Because he falls back the way Bert does to misogyny. Like, the minute he finds out Karen's sick, Bert starts screaming. Just a bunch of misogyny coming out of his mouth at her. And Paxton does the same thing here to Natalia. Yeah, when it's revealed that she was in on it. And he immediately calls her a fucking whore. And it's like an immediately a gendered insult about sex work. Mm-hmm. Like, because it's all he knows. And I just don't want that. I don't want that in this character I'm supposed to be rooting well, for. Well, and so, I, look, I know that you don't always just kill the characters you dislike. But in this specific case of Paxton, the film needs to show that it doesn't support yeah. who he is as a person. And the way to do that yeah. is to have him take Josh's place. You know, because that sets up, especially if you make Ollie queer, yeah, that sets up a very clear idea of what your politics are. Yeah, and if you want to do the interesting thing, give us this character that we dislike at first. Then have Ollie correct him. Have him come around. Give us a moment of sympathy. Like, have him go back to help somebody at some point or something. Give us something to like him for, and then fucking kill him. kill him, yeah. Like, make, and then make that hurt. Mm -hmm. Also, I think a bigger part is we just, if we get more Natalia... More Svetlana, a yeah. lot more Kana. I like Kana and Yuki. We don't know shit about Yuki. No, she's on screen for like two seconds. Yeah. Oh, and then Paxton says the racist thing. Ollie's not even into Asian girls. <laughs> you say that to a woman who's looking for a friend right now. What the fuck? Anyway. All yeah. right. So let's, let's move on from character hygiene. Okay. I don't think we need to say a lot about fashion. Because here's the thing. Some of the looks are great. Like Natalia and Svetlana, amazing mm-hmm. looks. The boys, the group... It's backpacker. It's straight backpacker. Yeah, look. it's 2005 dumb American bros. In Europe. In Europe. You know? I like Josh's fanny pack. Mm-hmm. I do, actually. Yeah. Fuck you. And the funny thing is, is that now those are in. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. So like yeah. 16 years later, yeah. you know, looking back, it's just like, you fucking idiots. Josh was just ahead of the curve. Yeah, he was. Fashion wise, what I want to talk about with this film are the torture looks. Of course. It's like the leather apron. And they even make it a point when the American client who's like, are you going to fucking do it? Did you get your tattoo? Let me see your tattoo. Like that dude that's going to go in and kill people. Mm -hmm. Who's, I could write a book about that one character. But look, he even makes a point of saying like, it looks kind of stupid, but we got to wear it, right? And it's like, see, this is what we need to do is, is more looks here. And I think 
the sequels do this a little bit. If I remember correctly, Hostel 3 has some different outfits that people wear when they're doing their torture killing thing. Yeah, just, I mean, I like the leather apron. I like the medieval helmet thing. But like, you know, mix it up a little bit. Give us some other looks. Like, I don't know, you know, it's just kind of uh, boring. Yeah, I mean, it's a good poster look. Exactly. It's a good poster look and it's a good po- It's a good look to have like one of them have. Yes. But give it some, you know what, honestly, give it some slasher mentality. Let it be like a creative expression of that person. Mm-hmm. You know, they get to, you know, they get to show up in this outfit that they designed specifically for torturing and killing people. Yeah. And what does that look like for each individual? Yeah. You know, that's exactly. interesting. You know, maybe some people are in a jumpsuit. Yeah. Maybe some people are in overalls. <laughs> yeah. Give us the pig lady in the overalls killing mm-hmm. one of these people. I also think that the henchmen, solid looks, lots mm-hmm. of track suits, mm-hmm. henchmen look. Yeah. You know, the kid gang, I like what they're wearing. Yeah. Street urchin chic. <laughs> urchin chic. Yeah. Urchin realness. <laughs> There's <laughs> So not, not much else about the fashion in that, in that regard. No, I say we can move on to design. Yeah. Okay. So, whereas I believe that Cabin Fever was mostly shot well and mostly had good music, I believe the exact opposite about this movie. <laughs> I think it is mostly shot incredibly poorly. Mm-hmm. Like, not the lighting necessarily, but like the framing, shot composition, camera editing. movement, the editing is really bad. There's like one really good cut about halfway through that I'm like, oh, that's inspired. But then there's a lot of really bad cuts and transitions. What, what good cut? The toenail clip. The cut on Josh's toe to Kana clipping her toenail. Oh, yeah. At the hostel. Like, it's a great cut. And it's like, it kind of in some ways marks the beginning of the movie starting to like want to be interesting. Mm-hmm. But then they, they also make several more bad decisions after that as a filmmaker. There's just a lot of shots that you're like, wow, this is what you came up with. The first shot of the movie is boring. The very first shot of the movie is super bland, not composed well. The shot of the hostile sign it reflected in the puddle. Oh. And it's a sing. I mean, it's a one And then it comes back and like moves across the street and then up to the, the building and then the door and they come out. And it's just like the movement isn't particularly interesting. The framing isn't great. Like I get the idea of point A where the shot started and like the end point of it after it follows them up the street. But it's like, there's just nothing interesting to it. Whereas in Cabin Fever, the first few shots are like kind of sweeping and elegant. And this movie, it's just, there's none of that. Very dull. It's just dull. And none of the locations really outside of like the torture factory are really that interesting or have much character to them. Like the brothel has the like purple hallway. Okay. But like the weed cafe, the club... I would say the streets of the town that they're yes. staying in have a little bit of character. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. But you know what? It's honestly plot-driven because it's specifically the shots of Paxton trying to find mm-hmm. where the sh- where the picture of Ollie was taken. Yeah. And because it, the, the plot requires it to be a very <laughs> yeah. standout backdrop, you get some very beautiful shots of the town. Mm-hmm. And that's the only time you get beautiful shots of the town. Yeah, it's like there's a little bit of the third man in that. It's interesting because like anytime these movies are working is usually it's like Eli Roth nodding to another movie, mm-hmm. like whether it's Evil Dead or Last House on the Left in Cabin Fever or The Third Man or whatever else in this movie. Yeah, it is plot driven. It's also like the shot when they get to the when they get off the train in the town 
mm-hmm. and it's they're trying to do that like oh you're alone in this weird town it's like uh, the feeling is there but again i think it's because of i know the story that's happening you know it's right. not it's not that he's doing anything interesting with the frame there's one shot i really like the shot of when he's riding in the car with natalia to the factory yeah. And there's that shot of the window and his face. And it's like, you see the factory reflection on the window. Mm-hmm. That's a great shot. Yeah. It's one of very few in the movie. Yeah. The, the, any reveal of violence is pretty dull in it. Yeah. When he's like walking to the hall and seeing all this stuff, there's not a lot of energy to it. I think that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So how do we fix it? Just giving it energy? Yeah. I don't know. You just get someone better to direct it. <laughs> So the way we fix both these movies is just getting a different director. Get a different... I mean, that's step one. Because, yeah, the design of this film is not great. Even when it starts to pick up speed at the end, mm-hmm. it, it hits some snags. You know, there's some tension there, but it's tension that's just going to be there anyway. It's not necessarily that he's shooting or cutting well to, like, make the tension last because it, it drops a couple times. You know, I mean, like, it, when he goes back, there is, you know, I, you do feel that moment mm-hmm. when he goes back for Kana. But then, I don't know, it just all seems a little too easy. And yeah, again, the writing, <laughs> the dialogue, it's, it's mostly bad. You know what? One thing I like about Hostel, music-wise, I, I don't like the score. I think the score is fucking overbearing. Okay. But I do like all the like European pop music needle drops. Mm-hmm. That's one nice thing you can say yeah. about it. What would you say about the blood and gore in this film? Again, it's like, it's better than Cabin Fever. Yes. I'll give it that. But also some of it just seems silly. The eye, Kana's eye thing. The cutting off of the eye specifically. Was well, it's like, I don't know how physically that happened. Did the guy gouge the eye out and then cauterize around it? Around it so that all the skin bubbled up over the empty socket. So then it like can't go back in the socket and he has to cut it I off. Mean, that's kind of what it seemed like. Right? And that's Which, an interesting... You should have seen that. Yeah, right? Like, show me that. Like, yeah. you want to be... You think you're fucking gross. Show me that. I want to... Let's get gross, Eli. The pus was a nice touch. It was. Agreed. This movie does a lot of tell, not show. And, you know, like, for example, one thing I really have always hated is the reveal that Ollie's dead by, like, showing his head and then panning out to reveal it's decapitated. I really don't like that. I hate that so much. Because it's like, look, at this point, we know that there's a threat here. Way before Ollie disappears. Yeah. And the reveal that he's dead is... Not that interesting compared to what would be really intense and hard watching him die. Like, how did that happen? Again, it's the straight ick. Yeah. Like even even ick. even in the even in the interpersonal relationship like stakes, it's it's like it doesn't want to dwell in it. Mm-hmm. it. It's like we're so gross and edgy, it's extreme, but it's just saying that. It's not actually living in the discomfort of that or in the drama of that. Exactly. And that's the exact same and even more so with Josh's death yeah. where it's like, it, oh. like the whole gore focus of that is the cutting of the Achilles heel yeah, and that whole bait and switch of, oh, you can leave, you know, and then it's like, oh, you can't because your Achilles heel have been cut. But then like, it, then it cuts away and that's it. That's all we get. And they cop out on the next slash. And that's the thing. It's been a running theme. This pride month is me and my neck slashings. Death Drop Gorgeous has a great neck slashing. Mm-hmm. Stranger by the Lake's got a good neck gouging. And I swear, does Knife Plus and Heart have a neck slash? Yes, it does. In the, the porn shoot, when the lights go out and they come back on and that guy yes. has his throat cut. Yes. This hostel 
bad neck slash. Mm-hmm. Look at the gay movies, Eli. Yeah. They got good neck slashings. Give us a good neck slashing. That's one thing we have standards for. But again, going back to what you were saying, that it, you know, it's straight egg. It doesn't want to dwell in the uncomfortable. Exactly. Like yeah. It wants us to like be like, oh, that's so gross. Let's move on. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because it is a, a really horrifying setup. Yeah. When it is those rare moments when it is kind of like stewing in it a little bit is when it starts to work a little right. more. Like with Kana. With Kana and with, you know, Paxson getting his fingers cut off. Oh, yeah. And the toe cut, look, it's a cutaway, but it's a clever cutaway. Mm-hmm. The throat slash is not a clever cutaway. I mean, it's a B. It's a solid B. Sure. But we can do better. But we can do better. But yeah, just by existing in the uncomfortable. Yeah. And then like, okay, look, the gag on Natalia getting run over is pretty. Like there's a there's a crunch. There's some Foley crunch there. It's brutal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's gross. I kind of love it, but I don't like it. It's convenient to have them all there to get hit by the car. It's it's well, especially so Alexi being there too. Right? Yeah. Exactly. It's just like for the dummies in the back, you right. know. Ugh. I do kind of like the bathroom kill at the very end. Oh, I have thoughts on that. Okay. So cutting off the Dutch guy's fingers is is fun. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That's actually there's a decent neck slash there. Yeah. Kind of. I think it still cuts away a little too soon. Look. I have a whole thing about that bathroom stall kill. And it are we good to move into culture and, culture and lifestyle? lifestyle? Because I feel like this is a good, okay. this is an example of, of what my problem with this film overall Let's is and it. its place in the culture it's and its place to our lifestyles is that bathroom stall scene reads incredibly homophobic to me. One, because this Dutch character is already queer coded mm-hmm. because we have the scene with him and Josh, Josh where he puts his hand, where he puts on, his hand on his thigh and yeah. Josh has... A really unreasonable gay panic yeah, moment. Insanely unreasonable like, gay panic. And it's it's odd to me because I feel like Eli Roth feels like the moment is earned because of other stuff that's set up in the film. But let's examine that scene for a minute. The first indication I think that there's some kind of homophobia at work with the Dutch businessman mm-hmm. is when he says that Josh is handsome. And Paxton makes a face of, oh, handsome. You'd think he's handsome. And it feels right there like there's a little bit of gay going on. And it's like, it's weird because it's like you just had Ollie's ass next to Josh's face. Mm. Like, straight men are a plague. Yeah. So there's already that is like a setup of it being weird. And despite the fact that the context of this Dutch man saying these things to Josh is like, oh, you're going to get laid. Like the women are... The women love American men out there, and you're handsome. And oh, it's handsome. Oh, that's gay. So there's already that. And then when he touches Josh, Josh freaks the fuck out. And that's already, it's like, okay, are we supposed to think this character is gay? Or at least bi? Like, are we, is this character queer coded, this Dutch businessman? Like, there's something being implied. That's definite. But then when Josh sees him later at the bar and they go in and that's when and Paxton says says the F word at him because he's hanging out with the, the Dutch man at yeah. the bar. And the Dutch man has this whole thing about like family. It's really weird. He's like, I don't know what he's saying exactly, but it's something about you have to make your choice about what you want out of life. I chose family. And you don't know if he's saying that about sex and like exploring your sexuality or I mean, if he's that's how it sounds right that's how it sounds right so th- this character has already then been established in these implications yes this this arguably queer coded context so when they're in a men's room and 
the Dutch man's pants are around his ankles, and they're in a stall, which we've already seen a, stall, a bathroom stall being used for sex earlier in the movie. Correct. I might be connecting too many dots. Maybe not. I mean, I would also say that, you know, it's a train station men's room, so it would be arguably considered a cruising A cruising ground. spot, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, the, just the blocking of the scene. The Dutch man is on his knees with his pants down. Paxton is mounting him from behind and then cutting his throat and brutalizing him yeah. deliberately, intentionally. Because by invoking certain like gay sex parallels in this scene where a man is murdering another man, by invoking these things, it just has that read to me. Whether it's intentional or not, it feels homophobic. Like, it feels like it's invoking homoeroticism, only to have it be violent. Right. But sadly, I, I don't know how much that is intentional, but it is accidentally problematic. Yeah. Yeah, because there are a lot of places that climax could have occurred, you know? Yeah. I, I f yeah. feel like in Eli Roth's cis-straight white mind that, you know, he just wanted to place the Dutch man in a vulnerable position, mm -hmm. not understanding the connotations yeah. of it. I also just feel like Eli Roth is inherently subconsciously homophobic. Well, that's, I, yeah. And I think that's the problem with the movie. Yeah. Is that, like, he doesn't know it's homophobic. Right. Eli Roth doesn't know he's homophobic. Eli Roth has some really great gay friends. He is not homophobic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's like unexamined homophobia. Oh, it's fine. I say the F word because my friend Eric, who's gay, says I can say it. Yeah. But, it's like, he just joke. better not ever touch me. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking ugh. Yeah, no, it's very much he has that energy. And so his yeah. films have that energy. And it's like, if we're going to fix that, you know what? We just got to fix Eli Roth. Yeah, we have that's to what educate him. To. He yeah. needs to sit the fuck down and listen to somebody. I mean, it's going to take more than that. Because the thing is, is that people have already called him out on this. And he has a very quasi-liberal, straight, white, cis male mentality to it yeah. of like, well, I, like, I don't have these views. I, I don't feel mean it this that way. way. Like, this is just the way those people talk. Or like, this is, you know, like, you need to clockwork orange him. You need to like, <laughs> chain him to a chair, we need to pry his eyes open him. him. Sorry. <laughs> pry his eyes open and make him watch and listen to some shit. Make him watch Hellbent. And Death Drop Gorgeous and Stranger by the Lake and Knife Plus Heart yes. and take some fucking notes because it's like we can talk about what to do about this all day. But when it comes down to culture and lifestyle, representation and themes, mm -hmm. it's a bigger problem than, than some of these cosmetic changes. I mean, I think the cosmetic changes would fix a lot of things, but really Eli Roth needs to fix his heart. Yeah, that's very true. And that's the issue here with these movies. Kana's death feels really misogynistic to me. Her suicide. Why? Because she looks in a mirror and sees that her I'm face ugly. Isn't I'm going to throw myself in front of a train. And that's specifically just a plot point to save the straight male. Yeah. To save Paxton. Oh my God. She gets trained instead of fridged. <laughs> she totally does. It's so fucked up. I justice for Kana. I love Kana. Yeah. I want more of her. Kill Paxton and save Kana. Mm -hmm. Let's see what Kana does. Yeah. I think that's another reason why I like Hostel Part 2 so much is because it opens with Paxton fucking dying. That, I mean, that helps. Yeah. So yeah, long story short, we got to fix Eli Roth. Okay, that's a whole other episode. We don't have time for that tonight. Movies. All right. I think we've done as much work as we can possibly do here. 
Yeah, I think we did more work than we should have. Yeah, agreed. I think we gave both of these movies more attention than they deserve. You know, Hostel does have one of my horror turn-ons in it. Yeah, which is what? A security guard looking at pornography while he's on the clock. But here's the thing. It's only part of my turn-on because, one, he's watching porn on like a little mini pop-up TV, like a portable television, mm-hmm. not looking at a skin mag. I still say it, you know, it, counts. it counts. Yeah, But it's not like distracting him from his job. Like the whole point about a security guard looking at a skin mag mm-hmm. is that he's looking at that instead of the television monitors. Right. He's failing at his job. Mm-hmm. This security guard doesn't have any monitors in front of him. He just has to be on a walkie-talkie. And when the call comes in on the walkie-talkie, he's there to answer it. So watching the porn is just a flavor detail. So it's not fully my turn on. What I'm saying is, even when this film gives me one of my turn-ons in horror movies, it's, it's not, not the way you want it. It's not really turning me on. It's like the person that you tell them what you're into, and then they do it, and you can tell that they don't really like doing it. And they're just like, well, you're only doing that because I asked you to. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, but the fact that I'm doing it means that I care about what you want, right? And it's like, yeah, but it's not hot anymore because it feels like you think it's homework. That's what hostile is. That is a great analogy. At least in that moment. The rest of the time, it's not even trying to turn me on. <laughs> All right. I think it's time yeah. to sign off. Oh, gosh. Uh, well, we'll see you next week. Yep. Yeah. And until then, bye. Good luck. Better close the door, Marcy. Of course, my horse. Of course, my horse. TTFN. Bye. Good luck. <laughs>